verse number five. So first, this is David speaking now. David said to Jonathan, it's the new King James, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. So this is in David's heart. Just look at this. But he said, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. So I don't, we're not going to go into all the depth of how he hid out there waiting for word for three days. But I want you to see his intent for a moment. His intent was on the new moon, it's going to be a special time when I sit with the king. And he said, and I should not fail to sit with the king. That's in his heart. So now Jonathan repeats this as the conversation and the dialogue deepens. And uh, so it's picked up again here in the 18th verse. Well, let's, I'm going to, even though they didn't put it on there, I'm going to pick it up at the 16th verse here. It says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. So there's a covenant that's being exchanged here. Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemy. And Jonathan caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And so you see this covenant fellowship and relationship. And then Jonathan said to David, now look at this, tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And it's just the way that's written that it captures my attention. You will be missed when your seat is empty. Now we're going to go somewhere with this in just a little while. But before I do, let me just say this. You're missed when your seat's empty. Okay? I'm going to share with you, and I've titled my message, The Pastor's Grief. The Pastor's Grief. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm grateful to be in this house. Let preaching have that necessary rhythm here today. That fluidness that comes from the Holy Spirit. God, I pray today. That if you can use me to speak a word of encouragement, a word of love, a word of exhortation to our church family, that it will not fall on deafened ears, but it will fall upon the hearts of those that you have prepared beforehand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. For a brief moment, last, as a brief review, last week we were able to extend what's called the right hand of fellowship to 15 individuals, some of them were couples and some were singles uh, of various ages that we extended the right hand of fellowship and they were welcomed into church membership. And that was a very exciting Sunday. Come on. That's very exciting to add as God weaves our hearts together in love with men and women. And because it was such a... Um, such a powerful moment, I, I seized the opportunity with scratchy voice to teach you about what I believe is the importance of church membership, to show you, my job as a teacher, as a pastor, to show you that there's a distinction between being a part of the corporate body of Christ, which means simply you're genuinely born again, and being a part of a local fellowship or an assembly. And the necessity for you to take that step of faith to move into church membership. And I highlighted some of the things that we value as an assembly. And, uh, and so, again, I, I stumbled and I struggled to convey. But for the most part, most of the information was adequately shared. And I made a couple of, uh, 
you know, observations. First of all, nowhere in the New Testament epistles can we find a passage that says this is how to administer church membership. So we can't. So we have to simply study the scriptures and extract truths out of it, right? Principles that we believe are important for those that we're going to fellowship with because it's important who you fellowship with. The Bible says, know those who labor among you, right? The Bible warns us even of just, uh, you know, I know the Methodists say open doors and open hearts. The Bible warns us of that, just to be honest, of that open door concept like that where people don't share the same. Read, read Second John where it says, if any man comes in and brings not this doctrine, he said, then don't bid that brother Godspeed. So there's an exclusiveness to a degree that's associated with the body of Christ. Hello? And so I shared, and I, I think that you were able to receive it. I made the comparison a little bit with marriage in this sense. And I'm not trying to be critical of those who have not joined the church. I'm trying to reach out to those who have not joined the church to try to pull them in to seeing the need for membership. And I made this statement, and I made a comparison between dating and marriage. And I said, how long are you going to date the church? Come on, that's a good word right there. How long are you going to date? How long can we, you know, court you? There comes a moment we need a commitment, right? A commitment from not just our part, but from your part. You know, I officiate several weddings annually, and I've never had a wedding where there's a commitment only from one part of the couple, from the male without the response of the female, or from the vow made by the female without a vow made by the male. Come on, a covenant is when two parties come together in agreement. And so I shared with you one of the heart, or what I believe one of the intents of this covenant is the fellowship. And this word fellowship is koinonia in the Greek. And it's a very intimate fellowship that I believe you can only find through relationships in the body of Christ. I believe it's deeper than the bond that we can even share with our servicemen and women. I was a veteran myself. I understand there's a deep bond that can be created there. And I know many of you have been in foxholes, and you know you have a deep bond with those brothers or sisters. But you also, and I also think about sports teams, and there's a deep bond. Big old rugged football men, you know, hold hands and huddle together to receive a play from the sideline. That's a deep bond. Those men have labored. But I'm telling you what, when you worship together and your hearts become, it's a supernatural thing. God knits your heart together in love. With men and women, the Bible says of like precious faith. Like Jonathan and David, we cut covenant together. And see, the intent of my heart here is to see you move from being an attendee to being a part of covenant fellowship. And that can be a very powerful experience in your own life. So that's what I shared. And I, I felt to a degree that I shared it adequately, hindered a little bit by my voice, but I want to deepen it a little bit today. Hebrews chapter number 13, if y'all can go with me there. This is a passage of scripture where right in the midst of the epistle where the apostle here has just shared about the, uh, the insufficiency of all the sacrifices that have been made through Judaism up until Christ's eternal sacrifice on the cross. And it's very doctrinal throughout the, 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 the book, but, it's, but it, it's, it's looking back into the history of the Old Testament sacrificial system. But as he nears the end, as, the, as he nears the end of the, of the letter, 
he kind of makes it practical. He goes from these deep spiritual principles about comparison, comparing um, uh, sacrifices of bullocks and goats compared to the final atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then he kind of just moves that out of the way and he says, but let's just focus on some real important, just practical matters as it relates to the local body. And I want to pick up the seventh verse for just a moment because it says here in the New King James, it says, remember those who rule over you. Now, first of all, let's take a moment and let's ask who is talking about here. Is he talking about those that are in authority that we're exhorted to pray for, like in Romans chapter number 13, which would be kings, presidents, princes, governors, mayors, sheriffs, all the people that are involved in the local authorities at a civic level? I don't believe the context. I think it's very clear as we read it further. It's talking about those that have been placed by God as spiritual leaders in our lives. Pastors and teachers, prophets and evangelists and apostles. The Bible calls these men and women gifts of God. People that God has distinctly called and put a gifting in their life. Now, the word rule here comes to us in the original language more as leadership. Those who lead you. When we think of rule, we have a very negative, you know, we live in America where we are no king but Jesus. Right, So when we think of the term rule, we have a, you know, sometimes a misapplication of it. And so it's certainly not pastors, you know, to lord over. It's not the intent of most pastors to lord over people, but to effectively and efficiently lead you. Right? Like the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters, our desires to lead. And so those who have authority over you in the Lord, we can also use the term authority. There has to be some vested authority in a leader to effectively lead, right? Or, or because a leader cannot be powerless. He has to have either power or authority and hopefully both. And authority is an important thing to effectively lead. Now, this can be plural or it can be plural like bishops and deacons. Several of the epistles in the New Testament were written to the bishops and the deacons. But it can also be singular such as pastor or the pastor. We have pastors who serve as staff members with me. But I'm the pastor of First Assembly of God Heber Springs. And I don't like to drink in any wise, every time I minister, to bring any type of, uh, you know, where I bring myself into the picture. Because I'm always trying to defer people to Jesus. But I have to apply myself because I'm the person that in this body, that's this the direct application. Are y'all with me out there? And so, if, if you're a believer in Christ and you're a part of a local body, then it says you do remember me. Now, the word remember means to be mindful of. Don't forget the formerly skinny preacher. So, they have the rule over you. And, say, and, and so, how do we know this is, we'll see, their authority is partially validated by the fact that they have spoken the word of God to you. Now, I'm your vested leader from twofold purposes. Number one, you voted me in as pastor. But you did so in accordance with the doctrinal beliefs of the assemblies of God. So the district of Arkansas and the corporate body of this assembly has vested me as pastor. But then it comes originally out of the heart and the intent of God. That before I was born, like Jeremiah, Jeremiah, God said before you were born, while you were in your mother's womb, I formed you and called you to be a prophet. So if that was said about Pastor Brown, it would be said, before God formed me in my mother's womb, he called me and sanctified me to be the pastor of Heber Springs First Assembly of God, right? 
And so, and it says, and who's, it says here, who've spoken the word of God to you. Now, listen, I believe a minister or a pastor who's called to minister the word of God should have a tangible presence of the spirit of God upon his life. So that when we speak to you, it's not just a speech that you hear, right? But that there is a word from heaven. There's an unction. There's a weightiness to it. How many know the anointing is tangible? That there's a tangible presence of the Spirit of God. And we desire as pastors, I desire as a pastor, that I have an unction to speak, an anointing. And not only that, but I have a gift to teach or to preach. Because without it, I would not be effective in communicating to you. It takes both an anointing to preach, but it also takes the gift of teaching to be able to share truth adequately so you can process it, assimilate it, and apply it to your life. Now, many of us have heard people speak that either had an anointing, but they weren't called to be a teacher. They had an unction. Their presence of God was, was, was noticeable, but there was no order to it. It was like a whirlwind going on around you. You felt the presence of God, but there was no way to extract it and make application of it. Then you've heard others that had, you know, real good order in the sense of, uh, I know that's poor, poor English, real good order. But they, they had order to their sermons, but they lacked the unction. I know those that, that they're very articulate, but being articulate is not our desire. I want an unction upon my life. Something that's born in the breath of God because I believe that's what pierces your heart, right? It's the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and pierces your heart. And he said, so when you have somebody like that, and he said that that becomes your leader, they've spoken the Word of God to you, then you need to follow their faith. Now, that's a difficult one. The Amplified Bible says you need to imitate their faith. That's, that, that puts a lot of responsibility upon us pastors because what, let's go a little bit farther. As he said this, he said, consider the outcome of their conduct, which means that you got to look at the outcome of their faith, how they're living. Because uh, here's something that I take very seriously. The pastor has to have consistent, sincere faith that you as a believer can seek to follow or emulate. And so that puts a great burden of responsibility upon my life because that means that not just, you know, like a father shaping small children, who are seeking to emulate their dad, but in the spiritual you know, world, there may be senior citizens among us, senior saints, that they've got a younger pastor that God says, you need to be an example to the flock. So that even though Brother Bob Carr is 94 years old today, he can say, you know, God, work in my life the way you're working in Pastor Brown's life. To a degree, a measure of application. So that puts a great responsibility on us. So in my desire is for my life to be Christ-like enough. I pray, God, conform me to the image of Jesus, right? So that you can see Jesus in me. That you can see his character, his grace. I believe in the anointing and I desire his anointing. But beyond the anointing, I also want the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want you to be able, when you're around my life, to be able to eat of the fruit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and kindness. You know, I don't want to be harsh and bitter. I want to be kind. You know, I, I want to be kind to all people. That's in my heart as, as, as a pastor. And that shows great responsibility. I want to show you a second passage of Scripture here. 
that really means a lot to me personally because of the way it was shown to me initially. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2 for just a couple of minutes here for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So don't forget, we're going to go back to Hebrews here in a minute. But when I was young in the Lord, and what I mean by that is, is uh, I was saved at 8, uh, uh, called into the ministry at 16, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 17, and my first mentor in the Lord, the first person that began to really disciple me was a man that a few of you know, Brother Ray Cawthorn. Brother Ray was a very gentle man, very gentle in spirit. And I was actually working at Town & Country Grocery Store before I went into the Air Force in 1986. In my senior year in high school, not everybody knows this, but I went to school in those days. And <laughs> in those days, you could legally leave campus after your classes. I only had two classes as a senior and I left at 10 a.m. And I went and I, uh, to, to, I drove to town from Wilburn and I worked sacking groceries here at Town & Country from 10.30 to 2 where I clocked out at 2 to be back at basketball practice at 2.20. And while there, I met Brother Ray Cawthorn. Brother Ray had on the back of his, his, his little vehicle that he drove a little sticker that said, Jesus is Lord. And so, you know, my faith is being stimulated. I'm feeling God doing something in my life. And I met this man. He's the person that exposed me to the spirit-filled movement because I was a part of a Baptist church. So what happened is on some of the after basketball season when I started working all day long because I was getting ready to support my wife, Sherry, who I'd marry in another month at 17 years of age. And that was a very good move on my part, by the way. She has effectively given me six retirement programs. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, so with that, uh, I, I started going back, JoJo, to lunch with Brother Ray on my lunch break. And we would go over to his house on West Walnut Street. And there we would study the Word of God together. And one of his favorite passages of Scripture was this passage that they're going to show you here. And he shared this with me as a minister. And it's in 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse number 24. Because the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, the servant of the Lord. In this application, it's to those that are called into ministry. That's the direct application of this passage. So this is about pastors or those that are being called into the ministry. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Are you hearing that today? Isn't that powerful? Able to teach. So as a pastor, I have to pray, God, give me the ability to adequately share information. I'm an information, doctrinal-based pastor. I believe in I get excited about information in God. You know, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, the Bible says. Right? So I want to know. In all my getting, I want to get understanding. I want to keep growing in my knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you? And so, here he said, able to teach, but impatient. Be patient with people, right? Change does not always happen overnight. We would like to see, I, I, Sherry and I would like to plant a garden today and harvest the garden tomorrow, but so far I've been unable to do so. I might plant in March, April, and I might harvest in June, July, August, or September, right? And with people, you have to be patient, because it's not the pastor that works in them to will and to do of his good pleasure, but it's God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so I have to be patient. Now, but in humility, I have to be courageous enough to correct those. And sometimes that happens on an individual basis. But most of the time or much of the time, it happens just through preaching the word of God. 
that the Word of God is designed to bring correction to your life. Right now, correction can be misinterpreted. Correction can seem to be abuse to some. But correction in the heart of God is good because God wants you to be being shaped in the image of His Son. And if you're being led away or led astray or going the wrong direction, if I'm going this way and God wants me to go that way, if I change direction, I've corrected my course. And sometimes that's all it takes in life. Sometimes it doesn't take a rod to correct someone. Sometimes it just takes a hand or love, right? Or just, you know, just a word, just encouragement that says, hey, brother, listen, this is a better way. This is a better way. You're doing this, but if you'll do this, you'll get the, come on, you'll get the reward of heaven. Jeff, didn't we see it that day working at Sister Pat's, that day when you were really down and I came over to you and the Spirit of God just came on us right there in the corner at Sister Pat's. And what that was, it was correction, wasn't it? It wasn't in a violent way. It wasn't in a harmful way. It was saying, listen, if you'll do this, come on, you'll be happy in the Lord. And then we saw the reward and we saw, and then it comes, it could come individually, it can come corporately. And so, but the, the key is here is you got to learn to trust the heart of the person because if you don't trust the heart of the person, then you'll always think it's abuse. Right? And you'll shun from it. You'll run from it. But, but listen, but if you trust the heart of the Father, then you'll say, you know what? He's got my best interest at heart. And so in this passage, the last verse is, it said, if you receive that correction, then it will grant you repentance, which means a change of mind. It means a change of mind to include a change of direction. And then you'll acknowledge the truth that's being shared by the person that's given the correction, who's given the correction how? Not abrasively, but in love and in humility and what will happen? It said the enemy was about to get you in a snare, but now you can snap out of that snare and you can get back on course in God. Right? That's why we need to remember those. Remember, let's go back to Hebrews 13 for just a moment. We need to remember those who have rule over us. Be mindful of these people. They're gifts from God. And so now listen, I take very personally handling God's sheep correctly. See, like Paul, God counted me faithful. He put me into the ministry. Like David, the Bible says in the Psalms that God took David from the sheepfold to leading his people Israel. And the Bible says this, he led them by the integrity of his heart and by the skillfulness of his hand. And so I pray twofold in my life on a regular basis. God put integrity in my heart to handle God's people appropriately. And, right? Are you hearing me? And also to lead you in the right direction because that's what God expects of me. So my desire is always to handle you in love. So now let's drop down. Let's go back to Hebrews. Can we do that for a moment? Are y'all with me out there? I've got, I'm, there's rhythm in here today. I feel it. If you throw me a basketball right now, I'd drop six three-pointers in a row. If Shane was in here, I would wear him out. I'm not going to say that to Jojo because Jojo might challenge me after church. Hebrews 13 and 17 is another passage in the same spirit. Now, if out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word, if the author here feels the need to, over, to say this again, when you, somebody says something again in deeper context, then they really are trying to impress this into the listener, right? Because God knows the tendencies of people. The tendencies of people are not to be submissive to anything to not to be accountable to anyone but themselves. And sometimes they're not even accountable to themselves. So listen, so first he said, remember. In verse 7, now he changes his tone. Now he says, obey. 
Some of you are thinking, Pastor, I only thought that was for husbands and wives. No, I knew you weren't thinking that. <laughs> this word obey here, as you see this, it seems to, it means to listen to. Don't check out on me. Listen to what I'm saying. Learn to trust. That's what it means, to trust. Trust in what the pastor's saying and who he is. And then comply with. He, let's, let's go a little bit farther. He said, those who rule over you, there's that rule. That means your leader. That means in our application, it means your pastor. Does it not? Doesn't it? Doesn't it mean that in our application? That means your pastor. And he says, and be submissive. Did you know the word submissive in the Greek actually means to be weak? Because it means to be weak because then you go where you're led. It doesn't mean to be rigid and strong and withstanding and holding back. You know what the, a backslidden calf is? Have you ever studied out what a back, you know, you heard of it, a backslidden, he's a backslider. You know what the word backslidden actually means? It says a backslidden calf, it means that you're trying to pull a calf through a new gate that he doesn't want to go to. But see, to his own uh, ignorance, he may be missing out on a better pasture. Sherry and I are so aggravated because two days ago we were trying to move some cows to another pasture and this one ignorant heifer. <laughs> I'm not talking about my church family now. Let's go ahead and clarify that. When, she's, when that gate opens, she goes the other direction. And she jumped eight months pregnant and she still jumped out of the fence. And it's so aggravating because she's over here nibbling on grass this tall. And I've got a pasture rented where there's grass this tall. So in essence, to her own, it's detrimental to her to not to go with the shepherd who's trying to lead her to a better place. Maybe part of it is applicable to First Assembly of God. Let's go on down just real quickly. So he said, be submissive. Surrender or yield to who? To those who rule over you. Now listen to this. This is a statement I'm going to make. This can be easily abused. This is a tipping point right here. If the pastor or leader is authoritarian and he's harsh and he's abrasive and he's abusive, then he's going to beat down the flock of God. He's going to take this passage of Scripture and he's going to manipulate and he's going to coerce and he's going to drive people where, they, where he wants them to go. My goal is not to drive you anywhere. My goal is to lead you to the places that God has for you in your life. And so we're, not going, we're, we're going to trust that in my heart that I'm not an abusive pastor because I'm going to be kind and gentle because that's what the application is. And so here's this. If you've considered the outcome of their faith, that's what Paul said. If you've considered the outcome of their faith, we put these two passages together, and they've shown proven spiritual maturation, then you should yield to their leadership. Why? Why should I yield to somebody? Why should I submit to somebody? Because they're watching for your soul. Because God loved you enough that he called somebody to stand up just a little bit on a higher knoll. You know what a knoll is. It's a little bump on the mountain, a little higher knoll so he can watch out and see and observe. And that way if the predators are trying to come in, the enemy is trying to come in, we get a little bit of warning in advance. Come on. So we're watching out for your soul. Thank God that God's put people over our lives. The 
Amplified says, they're keeping watch over your souls and they're continually guarding your spiritual welfare. And you know what? Here's that responsibility conferred upon us pastors again. You know what? We're going to give account. I'm going to give account before God of how I handled you. I'm going to give account before God. It's not going to be whether or not I had this much money or had this type of, uh, of career or whether I had this type of investment. That, that's going to be all burned up in the sight of God. But standing before God that day, Pastor Brown, God's going to unscroll. How did you lead my people in Heber Springs? Did you handle them correctly? Did you love them enough to correct them? Did you love them enough to give them a gentle nudge in the right direction? Did you have the courage to stand up and tell them, look, you're going this way, but God wants you to go that way. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm going to give account of before God one day. And so I take it very, very seriously because that's a great responsibility in my life personally. And so listen to this. Your cooperation is needed. Because I don't want to be trying to pull you. Because I will lose that battle. I will lose it. And here's what he said. Look at this right here. He said, let them do this with joy and not with grief. We'll pick up that in a moment. Because it would be unprofitable for you. That's not how God wants this to be. Your cooperation is needed so that we can direct you and lead you the way that God wants you to go. Here's the point that I'm about to make today. The very important point when it, from the context of the message when I said the pastor's grief. I do have a grief right now. Something I'm struggling with on the inside just a little bit. And rather than to hide it or mask it, I've just decided to bring it forward. I'm going to be courageous enough, lay it all on the line to share it with you, and I'm going to do so today. There's three griefs that, that, that as a pastor, the only way that as a pastor that can have joy is if our church family is pliable, submissive, desiring to follow God. Amen. So I'm going to expose the grief that was, that's been in my heart, okay? Are y'all ready for this? Are you ready? Go ahead and shake. Y'all need to get in rhythm with me. Come on. If you're getting rhythm with me, I only can, I can shoot, but I can pass too. Number one, the difficulty of truly pastoring people who will not join the fellowship. Well, it got real quiet in here, didn't it? Let me say that again. The difficulty of truly pastoring people who have not joined the church. Because I don't really know, are you with us or not? I got to see you go from being just an attendee. I'm looking for something deeper. I want this to be more than a community church. I want this to be a covenant church of fellowship. Let me just tell you this. Sherry and I have been married 31 years next month. 31 years. I didn't say we've been living together for 31 years. No, we stood at the Prevailing Word Christian Center in the sight of God in the midst of a group of people that came out with a minister, and I made a vow to her, a vow that I've kept. And she made a vow to me, and we kept that vow. We have kept that vow pure between us up until this time, thank God. Listen, it's difficult to... These are The people I'm talking about are not difficult people. These are awesome people. People that I love and I attempt, I attempt to pastor them as members. But in essence, in doing so, I'm devaluing membership. 
Let me show you this. Failing to join the church puts the responsibility on a, of accountability on the pastor with a little responsibility upon the parishioner. And it's my personal belief that that's why many fail to join because they don't want to be fully accountable. And I'm going to challenge you in love today and not only today, in the weeks ahead, privately. Listen, it's time to take this out of the dating stage. Come on. It's time to make this a marriage, a covenant relationship, a covenant fellowship, a commitment between both parties, the individual and the pastor and the church. You know one thing I've decided that I must do, Dr. Bress? I've got to make joining the church a little bit easier. I've got, to, I've got to supply information to people because not everybody, I understand, could come spend six to eight weeks with me in class. So I'm going to make it easier. But it's because out of love to see you come from on the perimeter of the fold into the heart of the fold. Are y'all with me, church family? I've, I've been grieved by this. I'm going to be honest because it's almost like as a military member for a moment of time, you don't know who's on your side. You don't know who's on your, in your army. I want you to be on the army or in the army. I want you to be a part of this fold. I want you to be a part of this team. So I'm going to make that easier. Number two, here's my second group. Can I give you three grievances today? This is my moment. Please receive it in love. Number two, the negligence of some in the church membership as it relates to faithful assembling of ourselves together. Let's just go on. I'm going to preach it anyhow in love. But let me just share this with you. Listen, i got a question. Why do we neglect assembling? You say, Pastor, I'm here. Why are you sharing this with me? Well, number one, you're here today. But number two, when I preach oftentimes, I don't just preach to who's here. Sometimes I'm still preaching to who's not here. Because truth is not just declared with the individual. Truth must just be declared. Right? And so let me just put this out a little bit farther. Listen to this. We have three services. Each service is unique. I understand this. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I understand everybody has different perspectives and different situations as it relates to being able to attend all three. Right? I don't want to judge you when you miss for this reason or that reason. I'm not trying to do that here today. But did you know for the most part, the Sunday morning service should be a rallying point, borrowing from JoJo's phrase, recently that all of us really strive to come together a rallying point here's my grief here's my here's my grief real, real quickly i grieve because people cannot i don't grieve because people work faithfully that's a good thing but i do grieve because they can go to work faithfully they can attend special family events faithfully they can faithfully connect to other leisure type uh you know groups or events yet inconsistently assemble with the church does that make, now think about that for a moment. We'll not be late for church, or excuse me, we'll not be late for work in no situation. We'll not be late for their kid's birthday party or their son's ball game. But church is casual. Come and go when you want. Listen, that inconsistency is grieving my spirit. Why is it? Because I expect more of such a dynamic fellowship. I expect more. I expect more out of my life. I expect more out of my children. I expect more out of my church family. And I don't think that that is an unhealthy expectation. 
I'm basing it upon a conviction in the Word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, I know you know this, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you say, well, pastor, I'm not forsaking. No, but listen, when we don't get rhythm in coming to church, coming to church is habitual. You develop a habit for going or you develop a habit for not going. And I want to encourage you in the Lord. This is where that passage where David, his words, were, they, 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 they bear witness or Jonathan's words. Jonathan said, it's the new moon and we, it's time to sit at the king's table and you're going to be missed when your seat is empty. And I've been telling people that for 13 years and I'm going to say it again. When your seat is empty, you are missed. We miss your gifts. We miss your callings. We miss your personality. We miss your smile. We miss your handshake. We miss the warmth of your love. What if, what if God needed you to reach out to somebody else who's hurting that day, but you were too tired to come to church that day? Or you had other things that you prioritized over church. I believe one thing that can help all of us, and I've got just one more before I close. I know it's already past the noon hour. And I, but listen, that's what happened last week with the scratchy voice. You got a shorter sermon. <laughs> got to make up for it. Listen, listen, let me share this with you. I grieve because people fail to consider their impact on someone else. That's why I grieve. You know that passage in Hebrews 10 and 24, 10, it didn't just say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. It said consider one another. That's why we come. It's not just for you. You got to get out of this because here's what you do. You can talk yourself out of being faithful to church by saying, well, I'll just worship at home. Or I'll watch somebody on TBN. You know, T.D. Jakes is probably better preacher than Pastor Brown. That's debatable. But I, we can just watch him anyhow at home and then I'll just pray and fellowship here. Yeah, that's fine. You can. But you can't pray with Robert at the altar. Come on, you can't pray with John Maxwell at the altar right there when he's going through a crisis. You can't come up to somebody and say, listen, God laid a word on my heart and bring him a prophetical word from your living room with, at your recliner and at your remote control. No, you got to see yourself as a minister and say, I'm going to the house of God, not just for what I can get. I'm going for what I can give. I'm not just going to be touched. I'm going to touch somebody. I'm going to be a blessing to somebody else's life. And I'm telling you, we don't estimate adequately the value of a warm handshake or love or just a shoulder to lean into or just a passing moment in the foyer that just says, brother, I love you and I care about you and I'm asking how you're doing today. So I agree when we don't fully see clearly how our negligence negatively affects this church family. And lastly, as I close, I'll bring Aaron up with me today. I grieve, number three. This is a difficult one for me. This is not Soapbox Sunday, but it could have been. I grieve that people in church membership, so if you're a member, if you're not a member, you know we're fixing to be casting the net your direction. And we are. But if you're a member, this I want you to hear this. This is very personal to me personally. I grieve that people can walk away from their church membership without communication or without explanation. That grieves me. It does. Does that make sense? Because we went to, we rolled the red carpet out to bring you in. And we smile and we shake hands and we show love. And, 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 and the body's here. The body's here. And then often people either stop attending, fellowshipping on their own, or they connect with another church without even taking the time 
or the responsibility to communicate to the pastor and the other church body, their church body, about their decision. Does that make sense? Now, let me go a little farther in this. If that was marriage, you know what we would call that? If JoJo just stopped coming home. If JoJo just stopped coming home. And, you know, Ann said, where, where is he? In marriage, when somebody goes to someone else, we call that either abandonment or adultery and even polygamy. In one sense, in the employment world, if you have an employee who quits without a notice and you're left as the employer or a co-worker, all right, let's think about that. Let's make this real practical. You're working on the line and John is at the end of the line. He's supposed to box all the parts that you put together and you're doing your thing and, you're, and all of a sudden every, it's going down the conveyor belt and it's falling in the floor. Where's John? I don't know. Did John call? So we got to get a temporary worker in here. Next day, where's John? I don't know. He didn't call. John took another job. John took another job, but he didn't have the common decency to call his previous employer. Now, if you're that other employer, let me tell you what you would do. Here's what you would think. Here's what you would call that. You would call that non-responsible, disrespectful, and even dishonorable. But in the church, we call it our prerogative. Mm. We can even make it spiritual at times. I feel like God is leading me. Now, let me say this. There are times God does lead people to another fellowship. I understand that. And, and I've been on both sides of this thing. And I want to encourage you. If you come from another fellowship, leave the right way. I have had respect. I've had people that have left our fellowship that have taken the time to come in. You say, Pastor, that takes a lot of courage. I know it does, but I'm calling people to be courageous. I'm calling you to be exceptional. Whether or not you're a part of this church or not, I'm calling you to be exceptional. Own up to who you are in Christ. Take the time. Don't just drift away. Don't just walk away. Don't just, don't just extract from the life of the church and then turn your back on the church three weeks later. Come on, somebody. So listen, be accountable to your commitment. Be considerate of one another. Learn to be submissive to one another as we close today as you stand up with me. Let me conclude this message here. And I know you're saying, thank God. Some of you never spoke in tongues till I said I'm about to conclude. <laughs> and I heard six people shot that guy. I'm going to see it right there. Listen, that's funny. I don't care where you're from. Let me say this. You know what? It's my joy to be the pastor of First Assembly. It is. I mean, I have a smile on my face. I don't do it with grief. I do it with joy. But those three things have been grieving me in my spirit. Out of love, I think we're better than that. I think we're better than that. And I think you're better than that. You said, Pastor, what can we do as we close today? And I'm going to close it with a closing prayer in just a moment. What can we do to respond to these three griefs? Number one, I can make it easier for the faithful adherents to join. But you need to take advantage of it. Come on. You need to say, Pastor, if my heart's being, if your pastor, heart's being led here, you need to, it's time to stop dating. It's time to get spiritually married. Come on. 
Number two, we need to put greater value on corporate worship. See your attendance as more than for you, but for that the others need your love. You don't just come for you, you come for these. That alone can change your involvement in church. If that perspective within you changes where it's not just about what I get, but about what I give, it'll change your value to why you're a part of the body of Christ in this local body, won't it? Am I preaching the truth today? Is that right? That's a good word. Lastly, don't abandon your commitment. At the very least, if you plan to connect to another church, man, just be accountable. I'm going to tell you this. I'll be saddened to see you go, but I'll always respect you. I'll always respect you for the accountability that you showed to ministry and to the local church. And I'll always hold you high in esteem for your courageous responsibility. So as we conclude today, Hebrews 13 and 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For we watch out for your souls as those that must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. You know, there's a way that we can take away all these griefs that have been in my heart. There is. And I'm going to believe God we're going to see it in the weeks ahead. For that would be unprofitable for you. Let's pray. I speak a blessing over your life here today. Father, in my heart today is that I believe the purest and the sincerest motive for ministering this word to my church family today. God, to be able to speak a word to the whole body. And Father, for each individual to find their personal application. I pray that they will receive it. I pray that there's not a person that can walk in this, that will walk out of here today feeling like they were spiritually abused or manipulated or coerced, but that they were corrected in love from a pastor who loves them in the name of Jesus. God, I bless every man, every woman, every boy and girl under the sound of my voice. I thank you for not only their, attend uh, their attendance, I thank you for their participation. I thank you for their involvement. I thank you for who they are. I pray, God, that your word will be received in their heart and their lives. But Hebrews 13 and 7 and Hebrews 13 and 17 and Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25 <clears throat> will be written on the fabric of their hearts, God, in the name of Jesus. I pray today, God, that you would cause our church to be exceptional, beyond the norm, beyond the average, beyond the cultural trend but we'll be who you've called us to be, distinctly different with an anointing upon our lives. Let us have that sweet fellowship, the sweet covenant fellowship that David and Jonathan enjoyed thousands of years ago. Let our hearts be knit together in love. I bless each one here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray.